Hello and welcome to Help Me Believe. My name is Hayden Clark, your host. This is the show about Christian apologetics and theology. Our aim is to strengthen the believer and answer the critic. Today on the show, I'll be doing something a little bit different. I will be interviewing Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. Uh, about her latest book on reading well, finding the good life through great books. And so that's not necessarily theology or apologetics, but uh, I felt like, uh, well, number one, I just really like Dr. Pryor and her works. So as uh, I had an opportunity to interview her, I was going to take it. But also I feel like reading is something very fundamental to um, anything that you're going to set out to do. If you're going to set out to learn apologetics, if you're going to set out to learn theology, if you're going to set out to learn anything, you need to know how to read. Uh, but um, if you're going to read a lot, you might as well learn how to read well and le- read virtuously, which is what uh, her latest book is all about. So I was going to give you a little uh, bio of uh, Dr. Pryor before we get into the, the interview that I did with her. Uh, Karen Swallow Pryor is the f- uh, professor of English at Liberty University, where she has won multiple teaching awards. This is coming right off her website. She writes frequently on literature, culture, ethics, and ideas. Her writing appears at Christianity Today, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, First Things, Vox, Think Christian, The Gospel Coalition, Books and Culture, and many other places. She is the author of Booked, Literature in the Soul of Me, which we talked a little bit about in the interview, and uh, Fierce Convictions, The Extraordinary Life of Hannah Moore, which is a wonderful book about a 18th century abolitionist, Hannah Moore. you got to read that one, too. Uh, poet, reformer, abolitionist. And on reading well, finding the good life through great literature, which is the topic of... Uh, discussion today on the on the show I sat down uh, didn't sit down with her we did a Skype interview and interviewed her about uh, this book and uh, keep watching and you'll see all of that uh, I did want to make you aware that uh, if you want to see the bonus segment of the show where I ask Dr. Pryor a few extra questions a little bit more personal kind of off the wall questions you can subscribe uh, or support our ministry at patreon.com backslash help me believe and uh, you can do that for as little as a dollar. And I'll have links for that, as well as I'll have links to the book and to uh, Dr. Pryor's uh, website and different things as well in the description below. So, sit tight. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Help Me Believe. Uh, my name is Hayden Clark. This is the show about uh, Christian apologetics and theology. But today we will be talking about something a little bit different, but it's really fundamental if you think about it to uh, theology or apologetics or whatever area of study you would uh, you might want to engage in, and that is reading. Uh, reading is fundamental to uh, any body of knowledge that you want to learn about, but more specifically today. So if you're going to read, you might as well learn how to read virtuously and uh, learn how to read well. And so today. We are going to be talking about uh, a new book that's come out called On Reading Well. The subtitle is Finding the Good Life Through Great Books. And it just so happens that my guest is the author of that book, the marvelous Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I was going to say, I recognize that book cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Uh, I um, am uh, going to get this out of the way. I'm a big fan, uh, like all your works. And... Uh, so I'll try not to fangirl throughout the interview, but no promises. 
thank, oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. How, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I know that uh, you've been going through a recovery process. How's that going? It's going miraculously well. I'm, I'm very thankful. I, um, three, over three months ago, um, I was hit by a bus, and I'm just now uh, walking with the help of a cane, which is a huge step forward. Sorry, no pun intended. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so that, uh, you know, so I feel a little bit more normal being able to get around, um, even though, you know, I've got a lot of um, muscle to rebuild and pain to work through. But um, I'm very thankful. Well, that's that's great news. Uh, uh, like I said earlier, before we started, I've uh, been praying for you. So that's, uh, that's good to hear that, you. you're, that you're doing well. Um, okay, well, let's let's jump into things, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, first of all, if uh, would you mind telling us uh, just a little bit about yourself uh, for those who, who may not be familiar with you or your work, if you could give us kind of a little background information about who is Dr. Karen Swalapar? Sure. Um, I am a professor of English at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. I actually am starting this year, this school year, my 20th year there. So I've been there a long time. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I teach English literature, um, a lot of different courses. My specialty is 18th century British literature, but I teach a lot more than that. Um, and in particular, the English novel, which encompasses the, the 18th and 19th century. And on the side, I write um, for mainly popular audiences, um, and my writing appears at Christianity Today, The Atlantic, Fox, Washington Post, The Gospel Coalition, and I've written three books. The third one is the one we're talking about today. Um, I love writing about culture and the church, um, but I especially love writing about literature. Okay, great. Uh, You've been at Liberty for 20 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you what What classes are you teaching? Are you, I I heard some good news that you are going to be able to, um, despite the tragedy that happened, you are going to be able to. You made it to the first day of school, correct? Yes. We yeah. just finished our first week, and um, and the day that classes start is the day I was given clearance to put weight on both of my legs, wow. and so. The first week was a little bit rough, right. but now, as I said, I've got the cane and I'm getting stronger every day. And so it just worked out that um, that my recovery, uh, that, that big milestone coincided with the start of classes. So I feel good being back um, to be living a more normal life yeah. and uh, be energized by my students and my classes. So. Yeah. Well, that, that's amazing that the, the first day back was the first day you were able to do, uh, like you said, put, yeah. put weight on. But that's that's amazing. That's great. Okay. So. Tell us a little bit about the book, kind of maybe a big picture idea. What is the the thesis? What is the purpose? Uh, just uh, that sort of uh, thing. What, what's the main idea? Well, I'll start with uh, the background, which is my first book, um, Book to Literature and the Soul of Me, uh, which is uh, a literary and spiritual memoir, um, basically about the books that most changed my life and ultimately returned me to my um, to a faith in God. I mean, I never lost my faith, mm -hmm. but I kind of felt like I had to choose between books and God. Um, and so my first book is the story of that. And I talk about it in that I talk about um, reading promiscuously. Or yes, reading widely. This is, I was yeah. going to ask you about this at <laughs> okay. some point, because I, I heard you say this in a different uh, podcast, I think, is where yeah. I heard you say reading promiscuously. I thought, oh, I like that phrase. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I should, but I like it. <laughs> no, you should. It actually comes from... Um, the 17th century Puritan John Milton, 
Uh, and the word promiscuous originally just simply meant like, and still means, inordinate mixing or, you know, just an odd mixing with different things. Okay. And so, so it's only a modern notion to attach to that word uh, something maybe negative. Right, right. Okay. Well, I, I mean, it, th because basically um, sexual promiscuity right. means the same thing, but now we've taken away the You've taken adjective. away the, the adjective. I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's um, clarifying. Which, I, I mean, fun little, I don't know your audience that well, but... Um, Go for it. So I don't know if they'll appreciate this or not, but fun, fun little parallel um, is the word intercourse, okay. uh, which if you read Jane Austen or other writers, they'll talk about, you know, having intercourse and what they actually mean is social intercourse right. or dialogue. Yeah. yeah, I see this all the time. Um, and and we've just come to just think it means right particular kind. one particular so, kind. yeah a little etymology so, there so that's yeah okay. exactly yeah thank you so, for that you're welcome i, I don't know if you remember now where you were going before i cut <laughs> you off there but go continue <laughs> <right>. please <laughs> uh well we, yeah so milton when he talked about reading promiscuous he meant promiscuously he meant reading a wide variety of works mm. not just works that you already agree with or that you think um, won't challenge you, that just confirm your belief, because he believed that um, as a Puritan who was very um, anti-Catholic church, Roman Catholic church, he thought that just simply to conform to what a priest tells you um, is heretical. Right. And that even if you believe the right things, but do it just because someone, do so because someone has told you rather than because you have studied and tested and, yep. and tried ideas, um, that you would basically be essentially a heretic for not really understanding what your beliefs are. Mm. So that was sort of the thesis of my first book, uh, written a number of years ago. And I wanted to write another book about books. And um, as I was sitting down to research and develop this one, um, I realized that one of the things that's happened in the past few years, I mean, it's been happening for a long time, but it just seems like it's gotten worse in the past few years, is that um, people are reading a lot now because of the internet. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of blog posts, a lot of news articles, a lot of headlines, a lot of tweets, a lot of Facebook statuses. But if you spend any time on social media, I think you realize that people may be reading, but they aren't reading very well. Right. They aren't paying attention. They aren't trying to understand meaning. They aren't reading charitably. And so that was sort of the, the kernel of the idea for this book was to not just read widely, but read well. And that eventually developed into a study of living well um, right. and living virtuously. Mm -hmm. So the, yeah, I was going to say, it kind of seems like in, in booked, you were talking about reading widely or promiscuously. And then mm -hmm. in this book, you wanted to highlight reading well. Is there any, uh, what, what does it really mean to read well? Uh, what would be characteristics of reading well as opposed to not reading well? What would not reading well look right. like? Well, in the book, I really, it, it sort of has a double meaning. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, reading well in the sense of reading carefully and mm. excellently and understanding meaning. Um, but then I also develop even more throughout the book the idea of reading well so as to apply what you read to your life that and therefore okay. to live well. Yeah. So, re yeah, so reading well on sort of a literal level, but then reading well on the level of interpretation and, and application. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you said read carefully, and I think I've heard you uh, highlight this before whenever you talk about your despise of speed reading, or, or <laughs> right? Which is something I learned how yeah. to do in seminary. But, of course, we were reading nonfiction, 
Uh, whereas, you know, with the work of literature, you want to take your time and really, like you were talking about, understand and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, there there is a time and place to skim. Right. Um, and, I, you know, I do it as well. But I think what's happened is, and, and actually a lot of studies show this, I, I cite a couple of them in the book, but there is much more research out there than even um, than I uh, delve into in the book. But it's skimming or speed reading develops habits. And therefore, unless you're really intentional about breaking that habit, then you're going to apply that to other kinds of reading. And mm -hmm. literary reading is the is reading that requires the exact opposite. Right. Um, if you think of the most literary works of all, which would be poetry, mm -hmm. um, poetry, I mean, to speed read a poem is to miss the entire point. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're probably worse off for speed reading a poem <laughs> than not reading it at all. Right. Um, and then, you know, literary reading, which may not be poetry, it might be a novel, which I, I focus on in the book. Um, it still uses poetic language. It still requires more interpretation and evaluation than just simply reading in you know, a textbook or an information manual. Makes sense. Yep, definitely. Um, so one, one question I had, or kind of what I, um, maybe something that stood out to me through reading the book was uh, this idea of um, cultivating or obtaining virtue through reading. And mm -hmm. uh, um, so I was just kind of ask you about that. Uh, how does one become more virtuous by reading? Well, by practicing the skills of reading well, which are pretty basic, some I've already mentioned, like just mm -hmm. slowing down, mm -hmm. paying attention, not reading just to get the point, um, not reading to get the sort of cliff notes or spark notes summary of the plot of a great novel, but actually um, reading to enjoy and the experience of reading and actually just experience it. Um, just as you go to a museum to look at paintings, you could just sort of speed by and say, oh, there's a vase or, oh, there's a girl right. holding a watering can. Um, you could do that, and yeah. maybe some people do, but that, that sort of defeats the purpose of going to a museum and looking at the painting and observing the d detail and observing the technique. I mean, even if you don't know anything about painting, um, you can stand there and look at the painting and notice things about it. And the same is true of great literature. You, if you slow down and notice the detail, notice the way the narrative works, notice the, the, um, the points of the plot or the character that the narrator withholds and reveals later or never reveals at all, and, and, and then you say, huh, I wonder why we never learned this. Um, there must be a reason why that wasn't included. And just ask those kinds of questions. I mean, anyone is really capable of doing that. Um, if once you achieve a third grade level of reading, yeah. um, but we develop such bad habits and impatience. And I think also maybe a lack of confidence because we've been taught poorly by teachers in our past that we're, you know, that there's some secret that we're supposed to uncover yeah. some hidden meaning when actually with a great work of literature, um, you can read it again and again and get something new out of it. You will never get most of it out of the uh, first reading yeah. or ever get any all of it out of subsequent readings. Um, but so much in our culture, in our in our habits, um, dissuades us from that kind of reading. Yep. Um, excuse me. Uh, 
you talk about uh, Aristotle's virtues, and so uh, one thing Aristotle said was that uh, virtue is uh, learned by by doing, right? It's mm-hmm. not, yeah. So how does that uh, play out whenever you're talking about you can uh, cultivate virtue through reading? How is so? It would seem that reading would then be an act of doing in some sense. Is that correct? Right. Yes. I mean, so what what Aristotle said of virtue was um, is basically a quality or characteristic that is so much a part of you that you actually don't even choose to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of at the end of the process. So the way that you develop a virtue is through practice, and which then becomes habit and then becomes part of your character. Right. And so the virtue, say, of courage um, is a, a person. Yeah, we can we can commit courageous acts that are isolated or just sort of accidental um, one time moments. And that's fine that we could say that that's an act of courage, of courage, but Aristotle would say a courageous person is a person who acts courageous all the time without mm-hmm. thinking about yeah, it or trying. Yeah. And so, you know, and so in the book I go through 12 different virtues and talk about what they are and, um, and what they mean and how, it works of literature we can learn them from. But in terms of reading virtuously, when we develop these habits of just sort of noticing, slowing down, asking questions, reflecting, um, after, you know, if we practice it, it becomes a habit and then it becomes something that's just the way that we read. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a quote, I'm not going to be able to remember it, maybe you'll be able to correct me, that said, uh, from the characters in the book, we learn character or something of the sort. Yeah, yeah. You, you'll, think, you'll probably I'll, be able to say I'll it better. Quote, quote myself. But, Go ahead. Um, literary characters have a lot to teach us about character. Right. So this is kind of right. what I was thinking when I had in mind of um, Aristotle's quote about how to obtain virtue through practice. And then the characters in the literature, it's like you put your it's almost like you put yourself in their shoes and, and they're learning. The characters are their character is being developed, but of course they're a fictional character, but the, the, the reader's real. And so they can kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Vicariously. You do that kind right. of vicariously. Exactly. That- um, that's one, of, that's one of the benefits of, of reading literature, especially fiction you know, novels and short stories is that we are reading about characters who aren't real, but we still, when we encounter characters in fiction, we still make the same kinds of assessments and interpretations and evaluations as we're reading that we do in real life. That's actually what makes literary fiction literary as opposed hmm. to, you know, some works of fiction that are not literary, right. like something that like a lot of Christians might write or Harlequin romance uh, yep. authors might write where they're not, they're just presenting an entertaining story uh, and they're actually doing a lot of telling rather than showing. Mm-hmm. But literary fiction uses language as an art and, therefore requires the reader to make more of these kinds of interpretations and evaluations, which are the same things we have to do every day. When we walk into the bank and stand in line and there's a person in front of us uh, that we've never seen before, um, we have no idea what kind of person that is, what he's gone through that day, what his life is like. And just based on a few interactions, we make some interpretations and assessments in the same way that we do as we're introduced to characters in literature. Um, and then we learn as we get to know a character who makes mistakes, often presents us with negative examples, mm-hmm. um, grows and develops. We're going through at least a kind of intellectual 
um, growth and development that parallels that character. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one thing I got out of the book was just uh, generally how valuable reading is, um, particularly in leading a virtuous life um, as well. Um, can you recall uh, when you first realized how valuable reading, have you just always seen the value in reading or is that something that you had to learn over the years or uh, can you recall? Well, um, I mean, my mother read to uh, my brothers and me all the mm -hmm. time when we were little. So I just had stories read to me. I remember being about five years old and reading Dr. Seuss on mm -hmm. my own and saying the words out loud and pointing at them with my finger. And then I just remember, I mean, I really just got lost in books and some of the memories that I have of the stories I read as a little girl are like, are more real to me than memories of things that really happened. Yeah. Um, and so I just always loved reading. Um, but of course it wasn't until I was older and became a teacher or professor that I began to think more consciously and self-awarely about, if that's a word, um, about yeah. the power that literature has. It was yeah. just something I always knew and experienced, but didn't necessarily recognize how it worked until I was an adult. That makes sense. I, I envy you in that because um, I don't know why, but I, I never, I, that wasn't the case for me. I didn't grow up reading books and that sort of stuff. Um, so am I the norm? Have you, do you think, or, or, or is your instance the norm of, as far as young people or, or children growing up learning the value of reading? That's a really good question. And I, I need to start asking it because of course, when I grew up, um, you know, there was, uh, no internet, right. uh, no video games. I mean, That's I actually point. remember Pong. So, <laughs> Pong, yes. <laughs> when was, yes. Okay. When it first came out, it probably has several iterations now. Um, and so I think probably a lot more young people are, I, it may be the exception, and it is probably requires some very intentional parenting um, to immerse children in the world of books apart <laughs> from all of these other things. So, it probably is becoming something that is the exception right. um, and really need it. You know, it still can be developed, but you've missed out on that time when, yeah. when those, with those simple magical stories. Mm. Um, I was born in the wrong generation. In. Yeah. Yeah. What, I, missed out. I haven't really thought about this question before. So that, that's, well, that's really a, question, a though, great loss. But, uh, yeah. I, I think it is. I think my case is the norm. Uh, today, anyway, um, there are a few, there is. are a few like I remember from school uh, uh, kids that always read and I never really got it until um, it's just, it's a strange thing. Also, this is maybe a different phenomenon as well. But uh, reading, I never grasped the value of reading until I became a Christian. Hmm. And so I don't know what it is there. I have I've thought about it, but I haven't been able to really put anything on it. But uh, whenever I uh, I don't I wouldn't call it a conversion because of I've I grew up in a Christian home, but uh, my faith didn't really become my own until I was about mm -hmm. 20 years old. And then I started reading the Bible because um, I wanted to read it for myself. And then I had questions and, and knew that there were people who have lived before me that have probably had these questions. So I read their books mm -hmm. and that just started a long line for me of getting into all kinds of uh, literature or different works. And, and so... Uh, yeah, I don't know um, what it is there, but um... well, well, Christianity is a religion of the book, and mm -hmm. um, it, it, so they really do go together. And I'm encouraged to hear you talk about that because um, because obviously reading the Word of God for ourselves is central 
to Christianity, and, but the same skills that are re- required to read the Bible well are the same ones required to read literature well. So if you practice one, you get better at the other. Now, of course, with the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit um, to guide us as well, but still the actual reading skills are the same, and they complement one another. Um, and the Word and words are central right. to the Christian faith. So there is a connection there, and that's uh, you, 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 whether you knew why you you articulated you articulated well what i i couldn't so it was like i had experienced that and now Mm -hmm. you've put it into words so that makes a lot of sense um so you you are you said there's 12 chapters there's 12 uh different virtues in the book each each chapter has a, a corresponding work of literature uh one of my favorite chapters um i'm gonna be embarrassed now because i didn't write down what the corresponding uh work of literature was but it that's was, all right i'll be embarrassed if i can't remember yeah so. this is gonna be good i hope you're ready uh it was the chapter on the cardinal virtue of prudence oh okay that's it, the, the first chapter after the introduction mm-hmm. it was and, the first chapter um yep. yeah and the uh, the the reason you might not remember the work is because it's a pretty uh obscure work it, it's important in literary history but a lot of people haven't read it and it's the history of tom jones a foundling, uh, the story of an orphan. Now uh, I remember. Boy. Yep. Yeah, an old, one of the first novels ever written uh, in 18th century, in the 18th century. And um, yeah, what did you, what did you, now I get to ask you a question. What did you particularly like about that chapter or that virtue? Uh, because you gave a word, just like you just did, you articulated something that I had just experienced, but you gave me a word, prudence, that I didn't know was there that I had just experienced, which was, it played out like this, and um, some people might ask me, um, you know, Hayden, how could I, or actually, I'll give you a real-life example. Somebody said to me, wouldn't it be nice if when you woke up in the morning, there was a letter on your nightstand from God detailing every little thing that He wanted you to do? And hmm. I and I, I said, well, yeah, I guess, but wouldn't it be nice if He just wrote us an entire book, like they, the Bible? And uh, so, but it really plays out practically what I'm, the concept I'm trying to explain here, it plays out like this. Someone will ask, what, what, what vocation does God want me to have? Or, or who does God want me to marry? These sorts of things. And uh, I I mean, I don't know what they're expecting. I mean, you're not going to turn to the Bible and find a verse Mm -hmm. that says, Hayden, I want you to be X when you grow up. If I found that in there, it'd be quite strange. But... (laughs) It's this idea of prudence where we can understand God's general will, Mm -hmm. and then you have to use prudence to apply it to your particular situation. That's how I understand it, anyway. I don't know if that's that's the right concept. That's really excellent. I mean, prudence is um, a subset of wisdom, Mm -hmm. and of course, God's will is the most wisdom that we can find, and yet applying it is a different story. And so prudence is basically applied wisdom. And so that's a that's a perfect parallel um, because we can be given sort of abstract concepts that have to do with wisdom or with God's will, but then practicing it um, requires prudence. So right. that's, that's great, yeah. Yeah, so the word I just always used was wisdom because I didn't know what else to say. But applied mm-hmm. wisdom would be a pretty good definition of the word prudence. So right. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, just a few more questions. Uh, my interests, my primary interest in reading is nonfiction. So I read because I just love to uh, learn things, uh, whether philosophical, scientific, or what have you. I like to learn. And so my primary reading has been through uh, works of nonfiction. So I was just going to ask you, and, and it's not a, um, it's not that I don't value 
fiction. Um, I was just going to ask you, why should I read more fiction? Well, um, I, I think that's sort of what I tr I'm trying to show in the book. Right. Um, is right. that we um, we don't read fiction to get information, um, although we you know we can get information. So, for example, one of the books <laughs> I write about is A Tale of Two Cities, and we learn a lot, even though it's a fictional account. We learn a lot about the French Revolution and England and those times. But if you wanted to learn about French history, it would be a lot better to actually just read a textbook. Um, right. So we can get information from reading uh, fiction and literature, but we read literary art, whether it's a novel or a short story or a poem, not because it informs us, but because it forms us. It right. shapes us. It's an experience that can shape us, um, shape our character, shape our, you know, experience, at least in a vicarious way. Um, and, it, you know, it just, it just has that, it, that's actually more powerful in some ways than information. Because I can get information <clears throat> off the internet and I can forget it. I can just use it right. when I need it. Um, but when we read a, a powerful story or even think about music, music is, I think, something that's much more common to people's everyday experiences, um, it shapes us, it forms us, it gets inside us. We ourselves humming along or remembering the song yeah. uh, days or years <clears throat> later because it becomes part of us. Uh, if we learn to read literary works just as well, um, then it becomes part of us as well. I like Which that. is why we need to re we need to read well and also choose well. Uh, um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, we need to choose works that are of quality and substance and that we also enjoy. Yeah, I like the distinction between informs versus forms. That that was a that was a good little one-liner. I may take that if it's free. Um, well, it's it's in the book, and I actually um, cite. I don't know if he originated it, but the one that uh, the person who uh, really uh, drove that idea home to me is James K. A. Smith in his um, liturgical anthropology series, "Desiring the Kingdom, Imagining the Kingdom, and Awaiting the King." Okay. Uh, you said we need to choose well, so the follow-up question would be, how do we choose well? That's a really good question. <laughs> Re recommendations? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what my mind went to. Was, yeah. What's well, a, I mean, I've got, I've got like 12 <laughs> recommendations in this book. Right. And uh, a bunch more in my first book, my favorite, all of my favorite works of literature. And there are lots of lists of great literature. I'm not someone who's big on saying, oh, here's my recommended list, because I think literary taste can be developed and it can mm -hmm. be different from person to person. Um, but basically, you know, there's a canon of literature. There's a canon of Western literature, a canon of, of world literature, um, the works that have passed the test of time and that critics across the board recognize as being worthy. And I would say, you know, any one of those lists, take a look at it, see what grabs your attention maybe something you read in high school or were supposed to read in high school and you never did and you want to return to it um there's so much good literature out there um you know even being living my whole life around literature i still haven't read 10 percent of the great literature out right. there so um my recommendations are in this book and in my first book and lots of great lists on the internet that you can find of the hundred most important novels right. or something like that so Yep. Well, I was going to let you know, and you just used it as uh, an example in the previous question, but your book has inspired me to read. Um, I've already started reading A Tale of Two Cities. Um, actually, 
I was going to say you might be proud of me, but you probably won't be because I haven't technically started reading it because it's on an audio book. Is there you disappointed? No, no, I am not. Um, I, um, I'm learning to listen to audio books myself. It's a, again, that's a skill uh, that you have to acquire, mm-hmm. just like reading is a skill, and a lot depends on the narrator. There's some excellent. The narrator um, has a wonderful British accent, so okay. it's. <laughs> uh, okay. The reason I went with the audio is only because the semester started, and I've got like 15 other books that I have to read right now. So I listen while I work I out and not, things like I, that. Yeah, I do not yeah. want you not doing your assignments. I listen. <laughs> I'm listening to books when I run. Uh, because again, as a professor, I have a lot to read as well. So I definitely mm. understand that. And um, no, I am proud of you. I am. Proud. That seems like a very difficult book to listen to. It would. It be is. For me. Um, that's what yeah. I was gonna say. Is I All definitely right. am gonna have to read it. Okay. Well, I I will give you the book that I listen to. Um, among all of these, I think it's the only one I listened to. But I had read it a couple times, and then I, as I was writing this book, I wanted to listen to it again. I wanted to read it again, so I listened to it when I was running. And it's Cormac McCarthy's The Road. The Road. The audible version is the. I don't remember who the narrator is, or who, you know who the. But it's amazing. It's mm. fantastic. I will have to give um, it a listen. The Road is a very good book that translates well to audio and also a film there's a great film um adaptation which is pretty good too so it's a now it's a dark and desolate and bleak (laughs) work (laughs) but i have that kind of taste but it's also (laughs) uh, it's also the one that i say um shows us the virtue of hope so um it's obviously not that dark right okay uh one last question why should the reader or the listeners or the viewers um why is it important that they cultivate a habit of reading, particularly as Christians? Well, again, um, our entire faith hinges on the word, capital W word, other lowercase w words, because the Bible is, is God's revealed word, um, especially if uh, within Protestant Christianity, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, we prioritize the word over the image um and there's something about the way that the words are revealed in time in a linear fashion which uh attunes us to logic and to eschatology and to um the revelation of god in time and through time there are just so many so many reasons why we should read i mean I... just the nature of words themselves the nature of mm-hmm written communication um reflects the way the god of the bible reveals himself to us and so that would correlate not just to the bible but this is just reading in general then right yeah right you know and if we look back in history we see that you know during the so-called dark ages um when the world was sort of crumbling in chaos it was the christians who were preserving not only god's word but other you know extra biblical texts and letters and so forth um, that would have been lost if the monks had not been painstakingly copying them down. They were the right. only ones who were literate. Mm-hmm. It was the church that preserved literacy, and it was in the you know in the Middle Ages, and then uh, it was the church that advanced literacy because they were the uh, you know prompted the invention of the printing press in order to get the Bible into everyone's hands, and then lo and behold, we were publishing Jane Austen too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of words, you know. So literacy, you know, we wanted widespread literacy 
for the sake of reading the Bible, but widespread literacy also advanced education and reading and, and thinking and the American Revolution and all that. <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay, well, it has been uh, wonderful to have you on. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, we'll, we'll have to do this the next time you write a book. Thank you so much for having me. It was, <laughs> it was fun to talk to you. All right, thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to click the subscribe button below so that you'll be the first to know whenever we post a new episode. To gain access to the bonus segment, five more minutes, click the Patreon link below and follow that link to our Patreon website where you can uh, become a supporter of the show for as little as a dollar a month and gain access to all sorts of exclusive offers. Thanks so much for watching and we will see you next time.